Welcome to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm April Wolf, recording in my home office with some special guest appearances, probably from my cat chicken. Every week, I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, or producer, and we talk in-depth about their fave genre film, maybe one that influenced their own work. Today, I'm very excited to have author and producer Mallory O'Meara here with me. Hi, Mallory. Thank you for having me, April. I am so excited for this. Well, we're just so lucky to have you. We've had your Reading Glasses co-host on twice now? Twice. Yes. That does not surprise me. Bria does a she uh, she does a lot in the world of film. She, is, she gets uh, around. No, <laughs> no one is harder working than Bria Grant. No, I will absolutely uh, concur with that. But this is uh, this is your episode. So let me introduce Mallory and her work to everyone. Mallory is a New England native transplanted to Los Angeles. Since 2013, she's been with the genre film company Dark Runes Productions, where she works as a producer in the horror, sci-fi, and fantasy space. But she decided to put her name front and center when she wrote and published her first book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters, and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. The book explores the hidden world of actor Millicent Patrick, who was the actual creator of The Gill Man and the Creature of the Black Lagoon. It won the 2019, is it Skiba Award? Can I say it Skiba or is, does it have I to think be SCIBA? So. It's, it's the Southern California Independent Booksellers Association, and me and my agents have been saying Skiba, just like scuba, but who knows? Let's just call it Skiba. Okay, so it won the 2019 Skiba Award for Biography and the 2019 Rondo Award for Book of the Year. It was also nominated for both a Locus and a Hugo Award. Very big deals. Mallory also proves her love for the written word every week, co-hosting the literary podcast Reading Glasses, which we just mentioned, alongside her co-host Bria Grant. But she is hard at work on her next book, another nonfiction tome called Girly Drinks, A Women's History of Drinking. Um, um, anything I missed there, Mallory? You seem pretty busy. <laughs> no, that's uh, that, that's that's all the things I'm allowed to talk about right now. Yeah. Also, Cat Mom. Um, yes. Most important title. Yeah. Cat- most important. <laughs> <laughs> Cat Mom to my two trash children, Sailor and Lula. <laughs> Mallory, the movie that you chose to talk about today is one that is actually very topical at the moment. Um, yeah, I was actually in a, in a sense, <laughs> even though you you chose it before you chose it before sea shanties became huge. But you're talking about uh, blow the man down. Can you give us a little explanation on why this is one of your fave genre films? Uh, well, for many, many reasons. I became obsessed with this film when I saw it last year for the first time. Uh, one, I am a New England native, and it's very rare to see a film that really captures the essence of New England, gets the accents, gets everything correct. Um, but it's also one of my favorite genres of film or anything really is weird shit goes down in a small town and exposes everybody's dark secrets. I love that. And it's so rare to see it told from such a female perspective and this movie is so unapologetically female and I just fell in love with it between all the New England jokes all the New Englandness and this like uh, you know this one event happening and exposing all the cracks in this small town I just completely fell in love yeah I think it's I mean we'll get into this a little bit but the, the filmmakers are mostly from like Massachusetts area but I I think Massachusetts really embraced this movie I could tell from the press like Boston Globe because they were just like we know this is Maine but this is also us (laughs) I mean yeah there's there's a weird part of New England that's just like we're all in this together we just New England is sort of like a group identity like we'll even sort of take Connecticut like it's it's 
when something is New Englandy, because you know the New England states are so small and they share so many things, it's sort of like one with one one person does it. It's, it counts for all of us. Uh, but for those of you who haven't seen Blow the Man Down, today's episode will give you some spoilers, but that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch, as always. My motto is that it's not what happens, but how it happens that makes a movie worth watching. Still, if you would like to watch Blow the Man Down first, this is your shot. It's actually on Prime right now, so you've got really no excuses if you have access to that service. And now that you're back, let me introduce Blow the Man Down. Written and directed by Daniel Critty and Bridget Savage-Cole for release in 2020, Blow the Man Down opens with Margot Martindale's character Enid watching a man chase a woman through the snow. Some unspecified time later, we are with the sisters Priscilla and Mary Beth Connolly at their mother's funeral. I've stayed here in this shitty town, in this shitty house for a whole freaking year. Well, Mom's dead now, so you can leave. The sisters fight, Mary Beth leaves, and ends up at a bar drinking with a guy named Gorski. How'd you end up in this shithole? <sighs> Bad fucking luck, man. You know what, though? I just won the lottery. Well, personally, I'm on my way out of town. Well, how about a going away party? The two leave together to the docks. When they arrive, Gorski opens up his trunk, Mary Beth sees blood, and she flees. She eventually kills him with a harpoon through his neck and a brick to his head. Mary Beth returns home, and Priscilla takes charge. Get dressed. Bringing them back to the scene of the crime to clean up the, and hide the body. She was going to call 911. She called. She hung up. Mm, she might as well take care of it herself. Priscilla uses her knife to chop the guy up and store him in a cooler. But the next day at the family's fish shop, she realizes she cannot find the knife. We're gonna get caught. I can't find the knife. It says Conley fish on it. Did you see me pick it up? No, but I mean, we're really careful. You're not careful enough. Mary Beth looks for the knife, but finds a whole lot of money in that little shack that they, uh, the guy lived in instead. Someone's gonna miss this. Yeah. But he's dead. Unfortunately, Enid does find the knife when she comes around to check on Gorski. Then... A body washes up on shore, but it's not Gorski. It's the woman we saw being chased, Dee. And it turns out she worked in Enid's brothel. The police interview Enid. Seems like they've got a long history, at least one of them. The veteran cop thinks she's nice as pie, but the newbie thinks there's something fishy here. That's my pun. Oh boy, what a woman. <laughs> Enid Nora Devlin. She was hot shit back in the day. <laughs> yeah. She didn't seem too upset, though. You know, and she didn't give us a whole lot to work on either. To complicate matters for Enid, one of her girls, Alexis, knows that she owed money to Dee and that Dee was trying to leave. Enid's got bigger fish to fry, though. I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's <laughs> More fish puns. <laughs> She's got to blackmail the Connolly sisters to get the money they took from Gorski. The sad truth is I'm disappointed in you girls. You thought you could hustle me. Mrs. Devlin. But because of your mother, I'm giving you a second chance to make this right. You're going to bring me back what you stole. And I'll return that fancy knife of yours. The sisters decide they'll just confess everything to the police. Everything will be fine. 
until the newbie officer comes over and starts asking questions about the night of their mom's funeral. He's also kind of flirting, too. And was everything okay with you, too? Oh. You're alone that night? Uh, well, everything was fine. We, uh, we went to bed early. Uh, the sisters return the money to Enid, who's too drunk and acting strangely. Enid begins reminiscing and gives the girl some of the money. God, I miss your mother. I never said goodbye. I'm sure she hated me. She wasn't angry. I think she understood. She was a good egg, your mother. They take the knife and leave, just like, what the fuck, we've got to end this chapter. Then Alexis comes in and suffocates Enid. The next day, the sisters walk through town, and they notice their mom's old friends smiling at them. And one of them has the cooler they put Gorski in, and she's wiping it away. Any hint of a crime is just free and gone in the air <laughs> and that's the end uh and i wanted to maybe talk about then something we brought up uh earlier which is the the location of maine and this kind of new englandness of this um this is this is them talking about choosing locations that feel kind of almost mystical um they said Maine was New England turned up to 10, and we felt like we had a lot of creative leeway to create an imaginary space there. It's remote enough that people really do what they want, but it has this amazing small town energy. This is what we talked a lot about with the world building, where it should be this kind of town where everybody knows your business. It just reminded me of growing up in a small town, too. We wanted to take those things that seem so benign, like, oh, I saw that your dad's car was parked on the street. Is he not working anymore? Those weird little things that people notice and actually show the power of that. That there is this social glue that is holding it together. You shouldn't underestimate it, end quote. Yeah, one of the, I mean, that's the thing that really struck me immediately was how wicked New England it is. And I think they, both these filmmakers did such an incredible job of, again, making it feel so authentically New England with, with every little, it wasn't even just the accents, which are very difficult. I mean- Everyone has seen The Departed and made fun of Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I know, literally the, the just way... watched that for the first time the other day. So I'm just oh like, my... it's very fresh in my head. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just the way that people dress and they're, um, you know, seeing the sweaters with the little puffer vests over them. But mm -hmm. being able to balance that sort of authenticity to a place, but also feeling like they were saying, you just read in that quote, so universal. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter where you are in this country. If you are from a small town, you've had those experiences where everyone there's layers and layers and layers of everybody knowing each other's business because not only do they know your business but they knew your parents business and they knew your parents parents business and they're judging you based on that um there's something that i also read about them uh talking about this movie how this it's really showing the changing of the guard um for the you know there's meant multiple generations of women and i think that's something that you can see in small towns whether you're in illinois or california or oregon or new, mm -hmm. anywhere in new england you know this this sort of sense of passing this history on um it's so magical to see and it, I, I don't think it would have worked if they chose a different location that was to like, oh, let's shoot it in Boston and see all the Boston-y things. There are no particular landmarks in this film. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're not leaning on that to make it look New Englandy. Yeah, it's not identifiable in, in any particular way. I can't, yeah. you know, like having even spent time in Maine, I'm still like, I don't know exactly where they are, but I know that 
it exists somewhere. Yeah, it fe- <laughs> it, they made it so it feels like Maine. And that is so difficult to do as a filmmaker without leaning on like, oh, let's go to a bar where they're all watching the Red Sox. Like, it's so yeah. it, it's a really skillful thing to do. Um, OK, so let's get let's get into the idea of finding those collaborators and finding people who are maybe speaking the same language as you because you are from the same place. Do you tend to work with people that you have almost a shared background with? Out here, I mean, we both live in Los Angeles, so it's an interesting question because, you know, L.A. is the the city where everybody moves to, you know, and Mm -hmm. I definitely do think that there are East Coast people find each other, which is always really interesting to me, or Midwest people find each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the people I um, I end up working with or collaborating with are from very different places um, because we, we sort of, I, I think a lot of the shared sensibilities of being a creative person um, rise above like oh we're 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 both from new england we're both from texas we're both from the midwest and that's what's kind of nice about it um but i definitely it's an interesting feeling because if you go to a party which is a a thing that i can't even it's can you imagine being in a room party party it's like can't can't even can't even imagine being in a room full of people right now but there is this shared moment of like if you hear somebody say oh like if i hear someone describing something as wicked good i'm immediately like sensors go off in my brain and i'm like oh are you from new england you like float across the room yeah (laughs) (laughs) you just you tune into them so um I personally like i don't out here and people that i work with uh professionally like right whether it's writing or podcasting or film, I don't actually really work with anyone or know anyone from New England. I still have all my my friends back home, um, but I don't think it's something that um, is is really necessary to to find collaborators. It's, and it's kind of nice too to think like, oh, we might never find each other if it wasn't for this weird thing that we do together. You know, whether yeah. it's making weird films or writing or or what. Well. Uh, let's talk about finding that kind of um, maybe shared spark that you might have for projects. Um, because Bridget and um, uh, uh, Danielle were saying, quote, it was like, okay, we want to write this feature. What are we? What are the things that we like? It was almost this vision board. So it's like, we love our moms. We're both Catholic. We both have sisters. We're both obsessed with the ocean. And then that was like the seed that unwound, end quote. And uh, I I think that's like having the vision board of just like, okay, if you are working with someone, like you do want to find that shared thing that you're passionate about. Um, And this honestly reminds me of uh, a quote that we had when we were working on uh, the Willow episode, Um, because, you know, it was just they were saying that like all they did when they were writing it was they got into a room and then just like wrote down essentially like a vision board of just like things I love in movies that are really cool. <laughs> like someone sledding it. down the snow. <laughs> I I love it. And I love that because there's this weird idea that some people have that, you know, you people create things for a market or you're like, oh, I'm going to do this because it's this stuff sells or whatever. But People who actually do things know that you have to really fucking love something if you want to do it. Like a film is it, it's not like, oh, I'm going to write this thing and then it's done. Like you are you're having a baby from your brain that is basically going to be with you forever and you're going to be working on it for years. Same thing with a book, same thing with a video game, whatever you make, you really have to have a love for it. And that's what carries you through it. 
It's not wanting to make money, although paying your bills is nice. It's actually having a true love for something. So I love the idea of just sitting down and being like, what's all the shit that we love? Cool. Let's put it in this thing so we can really love it and bring it to where it needs to be. I mean, is that what you did when you were doing like Lady from the Black Lagoon? You're just like, I don't know. I fucking love monsters. Uh, <laughs> yes. I am not history. Well, so much of, <laughs> at least from a literary perspective, everything that I do quite literally comes from me sitting there going, okay, I love this thing i want to see myself in it Mm -hmm. where am i i'm gonna find it all ever like between lady from the black lagoon girly drinks and other things that i'm writing that i can't talk about yet they all spring from me going i have a question that i want to personally satisfy like i want to know this thing yeah and and that's it that's 100 percent. like i i think it is it's wonderful that we have the past few years you know me too movement, uh, people trying to hire more women, all of that is amazing and great. And I think it's just as important for women to realize that we've always been here. You know, it like it, it's great that that it's 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 a huge conversation right now, but it's so important for women to realize that they have a history in the things that they love. They have a legacy. You know, it's not like all of a sudden in the last few years, like girls were like, oh, I, th- I guess I can get into superheroes and horror. That's pretty cool. Women have always been doing those things. And I want to know about that. So and I, I think that's cool. And so when I when I work on projects, that's where I start. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a lot more Blow the Man Down and a bunch of stuff that Mallory's working on the stuff that she can't talk about. We'll be right back. Hi, it's your host, April Wolf, and I'm here to talk to you about Storyblocks. Um, It is something I think a lot of our listeners will be very interested in because it is dedicated to being the world's best royalty-free stock media subscription service with an ever-growing library of stock assets, including music, images, sound effects, and more. Um, They have affordable subscription plans and tools with the Storyblocks Unlimited All Access Plan, so you can get unlimited downloads of everything in the library. And even if your subscription ends, everything you've downloaded is yours to keep. So one of the things that I think is really cool about this is the fact that a lot of our listeners maybe have uh, looked at stock libraries before and said, I don't see anyone that looks like me. Well, Storyblocks also launched their Restock, which is an initiative to increase diversity in their library. So it's committed to having 20% of their footage with people containing Black, Indigenous, and people of color by 2022, with plans to expand their scope to include more underrepresented groups in the future. So they're, uh, they've got some, some assets that you might be interested in. So you can explore their library and subscribe today at storyblocks.com slash switchblade. And that's storyblocks.com slash switchblade. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man, sounds like you need to listen to Hate Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Hate Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Mallory O'Meara, and we're talking about Blow the Man Down. Uh, let's get into women characters who are older, who are uh, maybe underestimated, because they've they've talked about, Danielle and Bridget talked about this a lot in their press rounds, about like, this is about women that you underestimate. Um, and they said, quote, the way we see women was really important to us, older women especially. That's actually one of the thrusts of why we made this film is that we love these underestim- uh, underestimated women. They feel like people you've seen in the backgrounds of other movies who bring the pie in the scene. And we just wanted to say, no, look closely at that lady. One, she heard everything you said. Two, she actually is going to manipulate you into doing what she wants later. So it just felt like those were the women that we w- that we know. There are there are aunts and our grandmothers. We just see older women as so powerful. And we just wanted this movie to really celebrate that, end quote. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about this is I this morning, I either this morning or last night, I realized, oh, my gosh, I love Blow the Man Down because I love Shirley Jackson. And Shirley Jackson is the queen of like domestic horror and something and that like I New thought, England's life, too. Yes, right? too. Oh, she's the queen of my world. I love Shirley Jackson. Um, but something that I think is so different with this movie, like uh, take my other favorite small town thing, Twin Peaks. A, a lot of all the action in Twin Peaks, most of it happens like at the sheriff's station. You get a little bit of at the d- diner but it's a lot of male-centric spaces. Blow the Man Down happens almost exclusively in dining rooms, in kitchens, in laundry rooms. There's a lot, all, all the scenes where all the power is taking place are happening in uh, in the very New England word, the parlor, the pala. Like that's where all of the powerful scenes are, are happening. That's where all the, re- like the real action, not just like stabbing a guy in the throat with a harpoon, but the, you know, the tension and the lying and the figuring out of what to do and it's so cool to see a crime movie where, you know, a lot of the action is taking place over nice cups of tea. And like, it's just, it's so special and so cool. And I really, really hope we see more of this in the future. They were also saying that's something that their cinematographer, Todd Benhazi, um, was comparing to Manchester by the Sea. Um, where... I have not seen that, actually. Oh, okay. You? <laughs> for real? I know. I mean, not, I know. not just for like, you know, like what it is, but just like, it's very New England. And I think that it would just be like, maybe resonate. And, I really like only <laughs> ever watch, no, I, only, I really only ever watch uh, horror movies, weird movies, or movies made by women. Like, if it doesn't fall yeah. into one of those three categories, I probably it's not gonna won't happen. watch it. <laughs> um, but in in that case, there is a scene where Michelle Williams uh, uh, is comes down into the basement and like all the guys are drinking and having a good time. And eventually she's just like, you guys need to fucking shut up. Like, you need to go. And according to um, uh, them, their cinematographer said, you always see it from this male POV. We're so used to seeing women cast as the nag and the voice of reason. So our, and then they said, quote, uh, our female characters are quite naughty and two-faced, but also will surprise you by how loyal they are. It's a very different world, end quote. So, you know, it's kind of like this actively turning that um, cliche on its head of like the kind of annoying nag wife. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's a great scene where one of the older women's husbands comes into the dining room because he needs a new fork. And they're kind of like, OK, honey, time to leave now. And they like give him his fork and they talk about the pats for a second. And then he like goes on his way. And then they're like, OK, good. Let's get back to the, our real business now. And it's so I mean, even the the opening scene of the film is, a, a you know, you're seeing 
what you find out later is um, the murder of of a woman. But it's literally from the perspective of Enid as she's watching. She pulls the curtains aside and watches from a window. And it's so rare to see if it was a male POV. I feel like we would watch that scene completely differently. And like watching a lady get killed in the snow as you pull aside your like old antique lace curtains is just so, (laughs) so interesting (laughs) to me. I was like, you never you never see murders like this. And that's why I mean, there's so many small town things are sort of the catalyst for all of the action is a young girl being murdered. And um, that's sort of I mean, that kind of happens here. The D is is definitely not like a teenage girl, Um, but everything in the movie is made so differently and from such a different perspective that it doesn't feel stale. Yeah, the antique curtains just like that's the (laughs) those yellowed kind of crunchy, crusty feeling curtains. Same thing just, with the doilies. It's like such yeah. a weird old house thing. Like watching this, I'm just like, man, sometimes I wish I had misery from Annie's <laughs> point of view. <laughs> I would. I would love that. Can someone please hire April to write that script? Please. Anybody listening? Gender reverse misery. Just like, what was she doing this whole time? Like, this is crazy. Um, so in terms of finding those women, kind of bringing out those women, um, you know, for your job, those women already exist predominantly when you're writing them. But yes. what's like the criteria when you're looking for that like specific woman who's just like, this is going to this my interest in this person is going to sustain me. Um, and and I want to write about this. Well, I mean, again, it comes from my own personal curiosity It's a combination of personal curiosity, nothing else being out there. Um, and also they have to be involved in something that I love. Like I am a huge nerd. That is baked into my life. I am when I'm into something, I'm really fucking into it. I don't have any <laughs> casual hobbies. I'm obsessed with things. Um, and I mean, Millicent, I wrote about her because she's my hero. She was the first. I'm a huge monster movie fan. I have been for a really long time. But she was the first woman I would ever saw making them. You know, when I up until that point. All my heroes were, you know, Dick Smith, Tom Savini, Rick Baker, all those guys. It never even, when I was a teenager, it never even occurred to me that I could do stuff like that because I never never saw it. It was just like I never, it never even crossed my mind. And then I, you know, I was the only person in my family who was a huge monster nerd. So I kind of had to like give myself an education on it. And I was like, okay, well, the Universal Classic Monsters, those are, those are the big like wait starting point i'll watch all of those and i got through them all i love them all love dracula love the wolfman love them all and creature was the last one i watched and of course i fell in love with it absolutely adored the movie and after i watched it like all nerds do i was like i gotta look up online to see how it was made i want to see how this monster was made and scrolling through google images i saw a photo of a woman working on the, the the creature suit and it was just like being struck by lightning i had never i it was like what, like watching a magical unicorn mm-hmm. walk through a, walk through a field next to my house. I couldn't believe it. And the caption said, Millicent Patrick, illustrator and designer. And I thought, oh my fucking God, girls can do this shit. What? <laughs> so it completely changed my life. It's part of the reason why I, I got into film because I realized that I could. And uh, it changed everything. And um, there was nothing about her. No, There was no anything. And I desperately wanted to know. I just wanted to know because... I mean, 
one, I wanted to give back to her. I wanted to find her story, but I wanted to know more more about her. I wanted, I'm the kind of person that if I get into something, I want to buy a book about the history of it. I want to know all the things. And same thing with girly drinks. I got really into cocktails and I thought, wow, this is so cool. I love making this stuff. I'm a shitty cook, but I can make cocktails. So I feel cool in the kitchen. This is amazing. And I read um, a book called Imbibe by David Wandridge, which is a history of the American cocktail, which the cocktail is like the first American art form that was really, truly just American and didn't come from anywhere else. And there was one line in it that said, um, during Prohibition was the first time ever in America where women really went to bars because they were all speakeasies and they were all illegal. So all the social rules of them were upended and women went to them for the first time. And that was like one sentence that I was like, wait, 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 hold on, go back. I want to know more about this stuff. Because when you're reading history and you're reading or you're watching most film, the POV is like straight white dude. You know, and that's like the jet what like when they're when a history book says people, that's who they mean. And mm-hmm. if everything else is just sort of extra, they might like if it's a good historian, they might like, oh, well, here's what all the black people were doing in this area or here's what all the women were doing or, or whatever. But like the default is dudes. But when I'm reading history, I want to know about what all the other people are doing. That's what's interesting to me. We've learned our entire lives what all the white dudes were doing everywhere at all times we know what they're doing i'm not interested in that so that's that's where it starts for me is i i get into something and i want to know the history of of women in in whatever is happening is there a particular characteristic that you're looking for when you come across these women you know like of course they have to do maybe something extraordinary maybe they do something in male spaces yeah uh, but i i mean there, there, that is definitely a thing, but I'm always intrigued by um, women who are maybe troublemakers. <laughs> um, I like uh, I like people with a with I, I mean and this is real life. Like I like people with with fire. I, I like people who are their own own person, blazing trails. Like I just want to know everything about them and i mean girly drinks doesn't follow one woman uh each chapter each time period follows uh follows one woman so there's many many women in in the book and every single one of them when i was picking which woman to dedicate the chapter to it was always someone who stood out because they changed things um because and they they shook things up um and Millicent Patrick is the same way and other women that I want to write about are also the same way. I'm so interested in, in people who change things uh, because they they want to do a thing and they it doesn't matter if people think that they can't or don't want them to do it. They want to do it anyway. And I love that. So I that's that's uh, really what I want to dedicate my career to is yeah, telling you know. those stories and blow the man down. You can run a brothel. You can run a fish shop. You can murder a man. More uh, women with harpoons. That is what I want. We're going <laughs> to take another quick break. We'll be right back. have a lot of problems. How do you juggle your holes at the library? How do you decide what to read next? What do you do when you find out an author you love is a huge trash baby? I'm Brea Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. And we're the hosts of Reading Glasses. We're here to solve all your reader problems and along the way, help you figure out your reader wheelhouse, which are the things that will absolutely make you pick up a book. Our listener favorites tend to be magic and a woman on a journey. And also birds for some reason. Your reader doghouse. Yeah, that's the things that'll make you avoid a book. Ugh, love triangles stress me out so much. Reading Glasses. Every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. 
Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm joined today by Mallory O'Meara, and we're talking about Blow the Man Down. Um, so some I we should get into sea shanties because this is a very popular thing right now. But the film does open up with a really beautiful sea, sea shanty um, uh, with a singer named David Coffin. And if you ain't into fishing, hell, you're in the wrong place. You need some time to blow the man down. To me away, blow the man down. Give me some time to blow the man down. And uh, it's really beautiful, but it's it's um, it's also precisely there to make a timeless tale because they they really wanted this to exist kind of out of time. Um, so even though you know people have like cell phones and things like there's it's it still feels like it could happen anytime or or in any like small area. Uh, but they said, quote, it's a contemporary tale, but we wanted it to feel timeless and also slightly ancient. We pulled so many references from paintings, this feeling of a woman by the sea that could be any woman of any generation and inviting that feeling of when you feel connected to your past generations. David Coffin, our shanty singer, is the shanty expert in, uh, is it Gloucester? Gloucester. Gloucester, Massachusetts? Gloucester. Gloucester, Gloucester, Massachusetts. There you He's... go. You're, you're already better than Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Thank you. Some, I'll, I'll teach you how to say mom and dad in, in Michigander someday. Um, <laughs> He's amazing, and he really brought the sadness to the shanties and a soulfulness while still so much masculinity. And even though this movie's about a lot of women, masculinity is still a part of the conversation in the film and what that means to these industries and these balances and these poles, end quote. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I really love it when filmmakers pull from art history. Um, they're, you know, they're looking at uh, really kind of classical compositions of, of how a frame is going to look and um there's a a kind of stillness i think that you can see that comes out in this movie because even though people do get murdered and and there's like intrigue and that kind of stuff the stillness is what is there and it feels kind of like painterly in, in, in a sense i'm actually really glad you said that because that's one of the notes that i have t- for myself to talk about there are so many shots in this movie that do feel like old paintings and they're it really lends this beautiful atmosphere to the film these just shots where you just like take a moment to breathe where there's um there's one shot where uh one of the sisters is just like eating fish alone at a dining room table in like a dark dining room and i mean it all just looks like an an edward hopper painting and it's so beautiful and I'm also really glad we're talking about the sea shanties because I recommend this movie to everybody. And so many people, they take a second to realize that the fish, singing fishermen are the Greek chorus of this. And as soon the moment they do, I always get a text. It's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I thought the fishermen were weird, but now this is fantastic. And it's so cool to see one, uh, you know, a group of men singing about what women are doing, which is such a role reversal that we know it's like, you know, turn Hercules the animated film Hercules on its head like it's kind of cool to see this Greek chorus of these you know really manly fishermen one of them is vaping in the beginning which is hilarious to me oh I love that yeah (laughs) that's that's such a good detail um but I mean like you said they're singing about what these women are doing and it's such an ancient story like women 
working behind the scenes, not making a fuss, but, you know, in the private, more domestic spaces of kitchens and dining rooms and bedrooms and laundry rooms, they're the true power of this town. And they are managing everything. And they are the ones that are in control. And it is so, like, I mean, timeless and ancient are perfect words for what this is. Okay, let's talk about this in terms of um, creating as an artist, because I think that there's a hope on a lot of artists part that what they create will be timeless. Um, and then there are others who are just like, I want it to be of this moment and that's it. And, um, in book publishing, I will say, uh, there are demands for both of those things. Like you, you know, you want to kind of fill and meet a moment, but like, if you're still getting author requests for your book, you know, years out from it and you get to do reprints, like that is also an extremely desirable thing. Um, yes. So, you know, juggling those ideas of like timeliness and timelessness, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? It is it is strange, and it's something that I had to really think about when I did Lady from the Black Lagoon, because Lady from the Black Lagoon is not a bio. I mean, it, it's not a straightforward biography. It's like Julie and Julia, but for weirdos. Like, it is part of of the story is my story, telling Millicent's story. Uh, you know, fall, I, you, I take the reader along on my journey to find her. And almost every single publisher rejected it because of that, because it was, like, weird, and it was... Um, it was new and it like people people were not interested in it but i the only way i could see to tell millicent's story was to show people because when you're writing a biography of, of somebody and i i read many many before i wrote lady from the black lagoon to try to get a sense and i was like oh these are all fantastic but i'm writing about these are all biographies of people that people already give a shit about. You know, you don't have to convince somebody to pick up a, bi a biography of David Bowie. Like, everybody knows who David Bowie is, but yeah. nobody who? knew... What? <laughs> no one knew who Millicent Patrick was, so I had to do something new to show them why they should care. I, I not only had to tell her, tell them her story, but I had to show them why, to, why they should care about her. And so I told put my own story in there as a filmmaker dealing with the same bullshit that she dealt with in the 1950s you know 60 years later mm -hmm. and um that it, it i don't think it works for everyone and it is a, t a tough line to draw but i think what i fell back to was just showing what i love and yeah. i think that is maybe the key to having something that feels very much of the moment because i mean i wrote and sold lady from the black lagoon before me too happened and so watching all that happen was really interesting to me. I was like, oh, wow, people actually give a shit about these stories now. Incredible. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Which um, weirdly opens up a lot of avenues for creators who have were hitting brick walls with trying to sell projects that that needed that kind of movement to, to buoy them. Yes. Um, so it, it, when Lady from the Black Lagoon came out, it felt very much of the moment. And like a little, I mean, I think the hardcover said like mentions me too on one of the blurbs on the on the cover or up yeah. on the back um but i couldn't you're like you, bitch i foresaw that <laughs> <laughs> but you could it, it's almost impossible to predict stuff like that and there's bazillion bazillions of books that come out every year that don't hit that kind of moment and the thing that you the only thing that that you can control is your love of something so i think if you really have a lot of passion and do whatever you do with that passion um you know it 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 has the potential to feel timeless. You can't control the in the moment stuff. You just can't. You know? Yeah, like Bridget and Danielle could not control 
the the fact that sea shanties would make a comeback after their movie came out you know they didn't know but I mean, they loved sea shanties enough to be like let's do it i mean we don't know maybe they paid some sort of uh tiktok influencer like hey can you sing this song for me and are you are you looking up sea shanties on tiktok but yeah i mean there's nothing like like we we're saying earlier in the episode you can't you can't write or direct you can't make anything for a moment because by the time things take so fucking long in both of these industries that by the time they come out the moment is passed the only thing that you can control is your love of something and your passion and and you have to fill that fill your project with that and and hope for the best yeah just hope for the best you know something that another quote that i really loved about how they got this movie made is maybe hopefully something that, that resonates with you too um I'll, I'll just say it's called what what does this movie need today so they said quote our producer's secret engine were the ones who found us an incredible partner in tango our financier it's worth mentioning that getting the film funded was just one of many chapters in trying to push the film forward and closer to a shoot in retrospect that whole first leg of the journey finding our producing partners development casting and trying to get the film financed was all about waking up every day and asking what does the movie need today and then doing everything possible to make that happen that day. It felt like a challenge of trying to balance persistence and patience, end quote. I love that because it's really, I mean, you're looking at a film like a kid or a cat or a plant. You know, you're so many of the things you do at the beginning of the project, you know, they're, you're planting seeds. You know, you are you're fostering something that is hopefully going to grow and, and to be more supportive later. So really putting it, uh, looking at it from a bigger standpoint like that, like what does this need? What is going to help this down the line? Like it, it's so um, it, it's so often I see a lot of um doesn't matter what you do you know the the problem with artists and making art is you need money for it and everyone is always trying to get their yeah, projects funded what the fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i i see a lot of people who are like oh well oh this person offer, offered me money i really like someone sometimes your desperation for a thing to get made makes you cut corners where you're getting money from or where who you're working with or you're like oh like i, I just talked to um to a, a writer who wanted to get into the nonfiction space recently. And she was like, well, I got this agent. She was the first one who said yes. And I've been writing this thing for years and I really wanted to get out. But as she talked to me, it sounds like her agent fucking sucks. It's like, you, <laughs> it's like you're you're letting your desperation to have to get something made cloud your your vision into what it really needs. Like you don't need necessarily need the first thing that comes your way. You need the person, the person that's right for the project. You need the right financer. You, uh, you need the right producer. You need the right agent. You need the right editor. Whatever it is, and I get it. It's like we all want stuff made out there, especially when you know you've been working. I, uh, I have a project going right now that I have been working on for years, years and years and years, and I had to keep changing it because it wasn't right. And if I had just gone for the first thing that came my way and just sort of pushed it out the door because there was a um, an option I had at the beginning to, to kickstart it and it would have been a totally different project and it would have sucked it wasn't what it needed uh, and I needed to keep hammering at it and find the right people to work with and I did and I'm, I'm really excited about it. hopefully I'll be able to, to talk about it at some point but I, I think it's doing that is one of the best and in fostering that uh, instinct in yourself is one of the best things you can do no matter what you make is to not just be like oh great this like I I'm going to get this thing finally made like really really interrogate if if that's the right move 
Yeah. I mean, in their in their case, Bridget and Danielle, I think it took them about seven years to get this movie made. But in 2017, they had like a quote unquote pivotal moment where they ended up re-breaking the whole story to focus on plot mechanics. So they had all these characters that they loved and they knew the town, they knew the world. But then they were like, OK, we need to essentially go back and track how these small town thrillers work and then care about plot and and to, you know, like to have that central plot. Um, and these characters that you've already created. So they ended up completely rebreaking the story and coming up with all of, you know, like this, the, the murder plot and these other things that happened um, through that in knowing that even though they were working on the, the script for like three, four years of it at that point, that like it needed something else. It wasn't it wasn't ready yet. Yeah, I think the Internet has kind of ruined us um, for that. I was just reading an article recently about how long it took them to, to write and make and get Queen's Gambit to the place where it could be ready, be ready to shot to shoot Mm -hmm. and i think it was like 11 years or 30 years like some some decade plus and people are like wow that's so long i'm like sometimes that's what a project takes but we're so used to now like content creators gotta crank something out every day you gotta put something out every week you know we need more content we need more stuff to stream like we need to you need to put out put out this or that you know at least once a year at least every few months it's like sometimes you, you can't put a project like that on a, on a strict schedule. Sometimes things need a long time to either develop or sometimes you need to develop. You know, there are there is a project I have right now that I know that I am not ready to tell. I need to get better at being myself. I need to get better at being a writer before I can do that. Uh, there's a book that came out last year um, by V.E. Schwab called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It's a became like huge uh, best-selling fantasy book. But um, the author talked a lot about how she had had that story in her brain for a really long time, but she knew she wasn't a good enough writer to tell it yet. And it took her a long, long, long time to even get to the point where she could write it. And I think... Um, you know, paying your bills is also it's great, but I wish that more people would um, would do that and let themselves sit with things and not feel so rushed. It's so easy to say, like, oh, look at what everyone's doing on Instagram and everybody else is coming up with things and everyone else is making movies and writing books. It's like, yeah, but they're not you. Maybe the project that you have needs to take a little longer and that's OK. You don't yeah. have to churn out things every week. It's fine. Yeah, it, it's a it's a rough thing. I mean, I agree. I think in in you know, in my own life too, that like, I was not ready to write some of the things that I'm writing now. And now that I have it, it's just like, oh, I figured it out. So now I'm just, you know, like full speed ahead. But, you know, it took a long time to get there. Um, And I want to thank you for coming on and talking about this and your projects. And, and, you know, this is all to say that people should be, you know, waiting for your projects that are simmering because we at least know that we've got, (laughs) we at least know that we've got girly drinks coming. Yes. Yes. They're, they're, they're simmering in there. They're either in my brain or in someone's inbox right now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, girly drinks, I think is coming out in the fall. Um, releasing things in a global pandemic is sure an adventure um but it is i'm really excited about it um it is yeah it's the history of um women making and drinking and serving alcohol from when alcohol was invented until now all over the world uh, every country every part of the world it took me a really long time to research it but i oh, am really <laughs> especially in a pandemic i had all these places that i wanted to fly to and see and then yeah. uh this happened so thank god for the los angeles public library Re- truly the mvp of everything that i do get your library card everybody best yeah, thing that you can do your for your local library oh, they're the best um but it is finally the um first draft is done i'm working on edit soon and i think it's coming out in the fall 
Okay, great. Keep an eye out for it. In the meantime, you guys can check out uh, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which is at your library and also your local bookstore. So check mm-hmm. that out. And you can listen to Mallory O'Meara on her podcast, Reading Glasses on Maximum Fun. And uh, also maybe check out the episode that we did earlier in uh, 2019 with the directors of Blow the Man Down. Uh, Katie Walsh filled in on that one. And it's a, it's, a, it's a good one. So check it out. And Mallory, thank you so much for talking about this movie. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to Switchblade Sisters. If you would like to tell us what you think of the show you can tweet at us at switchblade pod or email us at switchblade sisters at maximumfun.org and please check out our facebook group too that's facebook.com slash groups slash switchblade sisters our producer is casey o'brien our senior producer is laura swisher and this is a production of maximumfun.org Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.